Hello, mummers, and welcome to episode three in our perinatal mental health series. Today, we are talking all about anger and rage in motherhood. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today we have an amazing episode. So this is episode three of our four-part perinatal mental health series. So if you haven't already, go back to episode one and two in your own time when you can. We cover postnatal depression and preparing for the postpartum period, as well as busting through the perfect mother myth. So definitely go check those out. But today we are talking with Yara Heary. She is on Instagram at Life After Birth Psychology. She's a legend and she is talking to us all about anger and rage in motherhood as well as authentically parenting. And I think this is such a juicy and rich topic. I feel like I could have talked to Yara for hours and hours and hours. She's a really, really wonderful human. Um, And I know you're going to love today's chat. So Yara is a Perth psychologist who works exclusively with women throughout conception, pregnancy, and motherhood. And she started life after birth psychology following the birth of her first son, which started her on yet another journey of self-rediscovery. So her experiences throughout early motherhood drew her to support other women as they navigate their own family of origin dynamics, the social programming of the quote unquote good mother, relationship changes with those around them, identity shifts and role changes to find their place of balance and authenticity as mothers. So I really want to talk to Yara because when I was following her on Instagram, I really like how she spoke specifically to anger and rage in motherhood. So this is a big part of what we talk about today, but we also talk about guilt and shame in pregnancy and the difference between those two emotions, particularly when you're not enjoying pregnancy. There can be a lot of guilt and shame that comes up. We talk about maternal ambivalence. So normalizing these conflicting emotions in motherhood. We talk about how we can be great mothers, but not enjoy parenting. Mic drop. (laughs) Like that is huge. I don't think I recognize that that was okay to be a great mother, but not enjoy parenting. So we dive into that. We talk about authentic parenting and dropping all the shoulds of motherhood, what you should do, should do this, should do that. We talk about when expectations of motherhood don't match your reality. We talk about anger and rage in motherhood, where this is coming from, the danger in suppressing it and healthy ways for you to release anger. And then we also talk about the power of breath work. So this is a really, really beautiful, juicy, informative episode. I know you're going to love it. You can find Yara at Life After Birth Psychology on Instagram. She has amazing resources. She also just released a podcast. So definitely go and check that out. And remember to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast because we have one more episode coming out in this perinatal mental health series where you hear from moi (laughs) and I talk all about self-care, filling up your cup, holding boundaries and how self-care has evolved over the years for me. So that's a solo episode coming out next week. So make sure you subscribe so you do not miss that. And if you are feeling like you need to move some energy through your body, maybe you've got rage, maybe you've got low mood, whatever it is you're feeling is not tip top, mental health, physical health, we know go hand in hand in so many ways. So if you need a little booster, 
I encourage you if you're pregnant to please come inside the Pregnancy Posse. That is my online membership program where we do weekly workouts. They're 10 to 15 minutes long. You do not have to think. You do not have to wear a sports bra. You can be in your lounge room and get that little bit of an endorphin hit just to pep you up, get you feeling good, moving your body, get your mind feeling a little bit more vibrant. I really encourage you, if that sounds like something you're interested in doing, come on over to thepregnancypossy.com and you can trial the program for seven days. But without further ado, let's jump into this juicy chat with Yara. I think you're going to love it. Welcome to the podcast, Yara. I am so excited to have you here. I've really enjoyed our pre-chat rambles. So I know that this is going to be a really great podcast for women to listen to because you've got a really beautiful warmth and energy about you. You're a mum yourself. You're juggling all of the balls that so many women are juggling. And I just think the way you share your message and your passion to improve maternal mental health is just so beautiful. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I love chatting. And I sometimes think we should just start recording in the pre-ramble that we do no. before. Like, <laughs> we always have great chats. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to start with pregnancy. So we'll kind of mm. touch on all the sort of pain points that women might experience when it comes to emotions and mental health along this perinatal journey. But let's start with pregnancy. And I want to talk Mm. about guilt and shame. And this is specifically for Mm. those women who are not enjoying pregnancy, who feel rubbish and are not expecting to feel these guilt and shame feelings. And I know that can be really hard for them to navigate because often they feel like people around them are loving pregnancy and so joyous and they're wondering what's wrong with them. So could you maybe speak to these women and give maybe some strategies or some tips on how these women could maybe navigate these feelings they may be having? Mm. Absolutely. So I guess the the first thing that I'd like to say is that if you are one of these women who is really struggling with loving pregnancy is to know that you're not alone and there's nothing unusual about that. I mean, pregnancy absolutely can be a really wonderful time um, where if you have a pregnancy that isn't like hugely symptomatic, then it can feel like not much has changed, you know, and you can kind of cruise along and just tune into the fact that you're creating this other amazing life and all of that sort of stuff and it can be fine. But for some people, they have pregnancies that have got symptoms that come along with that that make it hard to experience, you know, joy all the time with pregnancy. But also I just really love to challenge or really question the idea that we feel joy all the time in any particular situation anyway, because I think that that's kind of an unrealistic expectation to have, like anything in life and even day to day and moment to moment, we're not constantly feeling joy. So I really want to to validate anyone who's out there listening who is feeling, you know, less than ideal in their physical body and also in their emotional, in their emotional sense as well around how they're feeling with pregnancy and just know that that's really normal. And for some women that may be also tied up in how they're feeling about being pregnant in the first place. So not all pregnancies are wanted and that doesn't mean that they don't end up feeling wanted at some point during that pregnancy, but it's something that's really important to consider. And in fact, when people tell me that they're pregnant, I I have made an, an effort now to not immediately say congratulations and instead to actually ask how they're going with the pregnancy because we don't know how that may feel for people. Personal note there is when I fell pregnant with my second, I was completely unprepared for that and it wasn't part of my plan at that time. And I went and saw a therapist for about four months 
And that was a pregnancy that also physically was extremely draining for me. So I went and saw a therapist for, yeah, four months. And I thank goodness that I did that because it allowed me to go through those emotions, to have a safe place where I could tell someone how I was feeling and to also really have those feelings validated and normalized so I didn't feel like a bad person for feeling the Mm. way that I was. And then I was able to move through that space and end up in a place where I was really excited about the pregnancy and, you know, started to really conjure up images about who this little baby would be and what we were going to do and all this sort of stuff. So really started to enter that real maternal mindset space once I was able to clear these ambivalent feelings that I had about being pregnant. So there are lots of reasons why women may not be feeling joyful all the time in pregnancy and they're all valid. The lesson, I guess, or the advice that comes from my own experience as well as what I know sort of professionally is that you don't have to live with those feelings and those emotions and the guilt and the shame and that there are people that you can talk to. And so some of those people may be, you know, loved ones or close friends that you feel safe being vulnerable around. And they're wonderful if you can draw on those resources. But if you don't have people like that is you can absolutely go and see someone. You can see a therapist, you can see a motherhood coach. When I say therapist, I mean a psychologist or a counsellor. There's absolutely people out there that will hopefully leave you feeling that what you're experiencing is normal and nothing to be ashamed of. I think also just talking about shame and guilt, you know, those two things, I I guess I just want to differentiate the two of them. So the way that I view guilt is very much when we make kind of judgments on our behaviour. So, you know, maybe I'm getting dressed in the, not getting dressed, but getting ready in the morning with my kids and no one's listening to me and my kids aren't putting on shoes, which is actually a very typical morning for me. Yeah, it's all just going pear-shaped. And on a morning when I'm not well-resourced, I lose my temper and maybe I'm shouting at my kids like, ah, we're always late, blah, 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 and I'm doing this kind of thing, right? And then maybe in the car on the way to school later, I may think, oh, you know, I feel really bad about how I was shouting at the kids and that sort of stuff. And I might say to myself, okay, well, how am I going to avoid this next time? And I start to maybe problem solve that. And I'm like, okay, next time I'm just going to grab their shoes and put them in the car and they can just go with like literally like no pants on if that's what it meant, if, if that's what makes it smooth and they can put their pants on when the car park and their shoes and it's going to be fine. I problem solve. Now that's kind of like, to me, that's the experience of guilt when we're able to to really keep that to the particular behavior that's happened in a moment, right? And we don't make any more meaning about that in terms of what it means about us as a person. But when we enter this shame space, it's very different. Shame is where, and I can see how if you're someone who's experiencing, you know, who's in, in pregnancy and you're feeling crappy about it and you're feeling like, oh, I just hate being pregnant and all of these kinds of feelings that you may enter the shame space, which is there's something wrong with me because I'm feeling this way, you know, Mm -hmm. or if you've done something that isn't aligned with your values in parenting, there's something wrong with me because I shouted at my kids this morning, right? Rather than recognizing that it was just the context, maybe you were overwhelmed, you were under-resourced, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And then maybe problem solving that we actually start to get really deep into like, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Again, both of these things are are sort of, you know, issues that you can bring to a therapy space or to, you know, a safe environment in terms of friendships that you have, where you can talk about that. But I really wanted to differentiate that because if anyone's listening, I, you know, I'd hope that you'd be able to pick up there what the difference is. So if you're experiencing pregnancy and you're not very happy in that space, we want to try and stay in the in the place where maybe 
if you're feeling guilt, which I don't think you should feel it anyway, but we don't want to get into that shame space where we're starting to think that we're a bad person because we're not feeling that happy about the space that we're in or the symptoms that we're experiencing Mm. and really be able to keep it focused on the present moment in the particular interaction or the particular behaviour or whatever it might be. I just really... I really feel for people who are going through tough pregnancies. Like I really, really do. It's a hard time, especially because culturally a woman that is unhappy in her pregnancy is not what's expected in our culture, right? Like when we think about the way that our culture thinks about pregnancy, it's like a time of celebration. It's a time of joy and of like, oh my goodness, I'm a mother and I'm becoming a mother and how wonderful is all of that. And so if we have sort of feelings of ambivalence that go against those things, then that's, I think, where we can end up in the shame space. Because if we have a belief system that is aligned with those cultural expectations, which is that I ought to be feeling really happy about being pregnant and I ought to be looking forward to and I ought to be this and this and that, which I think we can see how that can be grounded in these cultural and social expectations around pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Then we can end up having interpretations which are that must mean that I'm a terrible person. That must mean that I'm going to be a terrible mum. And so I really want people to recognize that we have a choice to disentangle from that kind of narrative, that social narrative, and to say, well, actually, I'm allowed to have my own lived experience, which is that maybe this is uncomfortable, or maybe I'm coming to terms with this pregnancy and give myself the space and compassion to work through that. Mm. That's kind of what I'd say in a very long-winded way. No, that's not long-winded <laughs> at all. I love everything. There's so many points. Mm. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love everything you just said. I just think mm. it's so validating for women to hear that that is okay. Because I mm. do think that so quickly women do shame themselves if they are not living up to whatever they think they should be experiencing. Mm-hmm. And we know it's so often the case that even myself who had on paper, very easy pregnancies. I had moments Mm. where I was like, I don't want to be pregnant. This is uncomfortable. Mm. This is not prefer my pre-pregnancy body back. Like I had my moments, of course. And I know women who have had 10 times rougher pregnancies than me. And I just really Mm. feel for those women because I know how much of a battle it can be, especially those who have tried for so long to fall pregnant and are finally pregnant Mm. and have wanted this for so long. And now all of a sudden, They want the outcome. They want the end product. Mm. They're just so mm-hmm. upset about being pregnant. And it's just really, really mm. lovely to have these conversations. This is why I wanted to do this podcast series because I wanted women to mm. hear it's okay and it's valid and there's nothing mm. wrong with you. And I really Absolutely. like that you differentiate the shame and the guilt because I think that's really important, like the awareness mm. of the narrative that's going on in your head and what you're making mm-hmm. your thoughts mean about you. And I think that's really, really key. Mm. And the, the, the bit about ambivalence, you mentioned that a couple of times, and I think mm. that's really, really important for women to hear too. And this is only a topic or a, a word uh, that I'd stumbled mm. across recently, and it's about being able to hold two kind of opposing thoughts. So it's yeah. like, I am really not enjoying being pregnant, and I also am really grateful that I'm pregnant mm. and having this baby. Or, you know, like, I really yeah. love being a mother, but I also really just want space to myself or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But, um, totally it's really powerful for women to know that ah oh, 
A, mm-hmm. everyone's feeling it. B, there's a term for it. And like C, it's yeah. totally valid to have this ambivalence, to have these these thoughts that can go this and that. Not, yeah. you know, if I am not yes. enjoying being pregnancy, well, then therefore I can't also be grateful or also be happy yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And I love that you just said this and that because that's what I was just thinking as well is that, you know, to other women in this sort of mother supporting space about how powerful the word and is, right, which mm-hmm. is holding two different possibilities at the same time. So, yeah, like I'm really looking forward to the outcome, which is having a baby, but I really hate being pregnant and that's okay. You're allowed to have both of those things. And, you know, I often think about this in my own sort of mothering experience, which is that I love all of the beautiful, intimate, connected moments that I have with my children, but I don't actually love parenting. Like I do Mm. not love parenting. I do not like the boundary setting and the repeating of things and being present for hard emotions for kids, I recognize how important it is and I do my best to do that. But that's not an enjoyable thing. Like, let's just be honest about it. You know, like we don't have to love every part of being a mother and we don't have to love every part of being a a pregnant woman in order to be doing a good job of that, right? Or to be doing a good enough job of that. It just matters that we're showing up and that we are looking out for obviously our our children's interests while also making sure that we're focused on ourselves as well. And I think that like going through the experience of not enjoying pregnancy at various stages or maybe even through the whole thing and really pushing back against the so social kind of expectation to be loving it all the time is really good warm up for when you become a mother. <laughs> because, you know, when yep. you become a mother, there's so much pressure and expectation that we've been conditioned to And we have to work really hard throughout our experience as mothers to actually say, does that work for me? Does that expectation work for me? Does this feel like an unrelenting standard? Does this make me feel like a failure? Does this make me feel like I'm not good enough and I'm unworthy? If it does, then I'm going to push back against it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when we push back against it, we upset people around us. And so strengthening that muscle of, you know, finding our voice and in pregnancy, it might just be to say, I'm not really enjoying this and that's okay, right? Mm. Out loud to a few people. doesn't mean everyone, right? We want to share vulnerability in safe spaces. But flexing that muscle and getting it more conditioned is really good practice for life in general, but certainly once we become mothers and there are a whole nother level of expectations for us. 100%. Mm. And I think it gives permission for other women to voice what they're feeling as well. So you just Absolutely. need to be the first person sometimes to say it. And then you'll notice that, mm. you know, your friends will go, oh my God, I feel the same way too. Or am I allowed to feel that way? That's so validating. I love that you shared mm. that you don't necessarily love parenting because I'm sure there's many women listening to this who are going to go, what? But Yara, you look like such a good mum and you look like you really have a great relationship with your kids. Do you don't love parenting? Like, yeah, I, I do. So I'm a great mum. I'm a, you know, I'm a fantastic mum and I'm slaying. Like, I mean, like in terms of like what, what I have come through and the family that I've come from and the kind of standards that exist in my family, like I'm killing it. I'm doing a great yeah, job, like but that doesn't mean that it's always pleasant though right like there's there's lots of shit in life that is unpleasant but we do anyway because we are invested in the outcome or we're invested in the process so just because we don't love it does not mean we're doing a terrible job you know it would be weird to say to someone you're going to experience pain and you're going to love it all like that's just a weird (laughs) you know like that's just weird (laughs) I remember 
someone yeah. sharing with me that they, someone who I really admired from a mothering mm. viewpoint, sharing with me mm. that they didn't play with their kids and that they didn't enjoy playing with their kids. And I remember going, mm. what? Are you serious? Mm. That's so badass. I can't believe you're saying that out loud. Mm. And then I sat with it and I was like, there are sometimes, I actually, I like playing with my kids 60% of the time, but 40% mm. of the time. I don't really want to play cafes or horsey rides or whatever it is. Totally. And it gave yeah. me such permission to be like, that doesn't make you a bad mum, Laura. That doesn't make you mm. any less interested in your children or any less interested in being with them. You just don't want to yeah. play sometimes and that's okay. And I just remember yeah. how validating that felt for me. So that's why, again, mm -hmm. I want to share these on the podcast because I know there's mm. women out there going, oh, it's okay for me not to like playing with my kids or it's okay for me to mm. not like aspects of parenting. Oh, phew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I totally resonate with that. Like I don't love all the dollhouse play and, you know, like <laughs> yesterday my son was not well and so he was home and we played a lot of like Pokemon card tournaments. <laughs> and I don't really love playing Pokemon card tournaments, but I really like being in that space with him. So mm. I love to see him really excited about playing the cards. And I like it when he thinks he's winning or when he slays one of my characters and he just is so chuffed with himself because he thinks he's going to win the whole thing. Like I love seeing that. So I think for me around the play thing, that's one of the things that has helped me do play a little bit more. It's like the delight that I feel in seeing his joy helps me mm. stay present for that. But even within that, I think. The important thing with our children and in terms of building a secure attachment with our children is really around making sure that we're connected and attuned to our kids. And so I think that if you're a parent like myself and like that person who you're talking about who doesn't love play, I mean, we're obviously going to do some play at some points, but it's just about making sure that we have ways of being in connection with our children. And children do that in different ways as well. Play is obviously a big one that they do that through. But it doesn't mean we have to be playing with them all the time either, mm -hmm. you know. So I think that, like, I remember when I had my first, I spent a lot of time looking up, like, how to set up those, you know, like the the Montessori pages and that and setting up the sensory things and da, 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 all this sort of stuff. And then, like, my second came. I don't even – I never set up one of those damn things, like, literally <laughs> never. So, you know, and, like, she's none the worse for that. Like, yeah. she had other kinds of interactions and other kinds of experiences, and that's fine. Like, I mean, that's also fine that I did that the first time because, mm. you know, that was me figuring out what felt good for me as a mother yeah. and getting to the point where I was like, actually, this doesn't really feel that good after a while, you know, and that's fine. In mothering, I think even more, we're kind of given this new opportunity because of this sh huge shift with our identity to learn about what feels good for us and what feels nourishing for us in combination with our children as well. And mm -hmm. so it might also be that if you don't like playing the way that your children are playing, it's also like maybe introducing a type of play that feels more fun for you as well, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. I think that's the other thing as well, like how can we get creative around how we spend time with our children so it doesn't always just feel like a burden, you know? 100%. And I want to mm. touch on there, you were talking about, you know, I guess identifying what feels good for you and like your values and things. And I want to talk about authentic parenting and I guess how mm. that ties into, I'm feeling, you know, I'm looking and talking to that first time mum whose expectations of motherhood, it's definitely not matching their reality and who's feeling like mm. all these shoulds are being thrown at them and they're just finding it really hard to like 
manage the chasm between mm. expectations of and reality of mothering and mm. uh, thinking that they should do all these things and kind of feeling like they're not good enough. I'd love for you to yeah. speak to those women and maybe what strategies, advice, mm. life lessons mm-hmm. you have to pass on to those women who are struggling yeah, sure. with that. Mm. Well, I first of all just would say um, that a great majority of women's expectations for motherhood don't match their reality. And a lot of that is because our expectations are based on media representations and cultural standards that aren't realistic. So it's not surprising then that women end up in motherhood completely unprepared for the big things that they need to be prepared for. Um, There isn't a lot in terms of rituals or ceremonies around initiation for women moving out of their maiden space and into their motherhood space. So, you know, the way that we live here in Australia and in other countries or cultures that maybe are very similar to ours is that, you know, the world of the mother is quite separate from the rest of our society. You know, like you as a mother and me as a mother, we know what happens in the mothers in other mothers' lives because we're in that space. But if we're not in that space, it's often the case that we don't have access to see what really, you know, what it looks like on the ground. Mm. Um, and then, you know, as I said, media representations of motherhood and idealistic portrayals of motherhood on social media and stuff make it really hard for us to have, uh, you know, realistic expectations for what motherhood's going to look like. I mean, most People, when they prepare for being a mother, they're focused on birth, which is a very important thing, but that's really just the beginning. You know, then you've got, you know, 18 years <laughs> of time that that is unprepared for. You know, people are busy thinking about their nurseries and and nice matching furniture and, you know, all of those sorts of things, which is lovely. And I think it's okay to adorn spaces that are going to hold you know, some of the most precious people that we know, like that's important, but I think we also need to put some time into preparing for the realities of motherhood, like how are we going to manage sleep deprivation? Because that's a non-negotiable, like that's going to happen, right? Like how are we going to manage food? How are we going to manage the change in relationship structure? Um, How, who are we going to when we're feeling stressed out and burnt out and both parents, if there's a couple are overwhelmed, who, who are we going to? How are we going to resolve that? When we return to work, how are we going to manage those, um, you know, the responsibilities now that someone has returned to work? There's a lot of, there are a lot of big and important moments that happen after birth that many of us are not prepared for. So I just want to say that if you're feeling that, you're not alone. The other part is that if you're a first-time mother, it's hard to know what you're, you know, like what are the questions to ask, right? Because you haven't been there. And this is one of the problems with having a culture where there's a real like mothers happen in the background or in the quiet or behind closed doors, like that experience of real life mothering happens in that kind of an environment. So we don't get the insight in to know what we need to ask questions about in terms of making sure we're prepared for what's coming. One of the things that I do a lot with clients that I work with, and we do this in my group. So I have a group coaching program called the Rebirth. So we do it in the group and I also do it with my one-on-one clients. I did this exercise with someone today is if you're finding yourself as a new mother in a space where you're feeling really overwhelmed and you're feeling like there's a lot of pressure and expectation on you, one of the things that I do with clients is I do this in not with music when I'm doing a one-on-one client because I'm speaking to them, but because I won't be there with you, you might want to find some really lovely 
relaxing music that does not have words because we tend to tune into what's being said in the music. Some really lovely relaxing music and take a moment to sit or lay comfortably. And what you can do in that moment is close your eyes and imagine what it would look like for you to be having a mothering experience at this moment of time that felt really nourishing. And what I ask people to focus on in that image that comes to them is who is present, what is happening in the environment, and who is not present. And the reason I ask people to do that is because it allows them to get a sense of what is either missing or what needs to be removed from their current situation for it to be more nourishing for them. And sometimes it's people that are not very helpful. So maybe we need to have less contact with certain people who are visiting all the time and who are feeling mm, like are applying a lot of pressure or have high expectations of us that don't feel like we can actually achieve or that may not even be aligned with our own values. And it may also be that maybe in that image, it comes to you that you want someone there that isn't there that you need to call in. So whether that's like family or friends or whether that's someone who you pay for a service who comes in to support you better, right? I did that exercise with a client today and they had this image of being in a particular place and they could see what their child was doing and the person that was there was a really close friend of those that they haven't seen in a long time and don't have contact with. And I said, you know, is there anyone else there? Is there any family there? Is there anything? And they were like, no, they're very obviously not there. <laughs> so it's that thing of like tuning in with, I think that when we take a moment to really sit with what would it look like for me to feel held and nourished and, and calm and relaxed in my nervous system, it's amazing what can actually come to you as a bit of a download in that image. But we just need to be still. We need to be still for a moment to be able to see that. And then the hard work is in actually getting it to start to look in real life like how it looked in the image, right? Mm. That's where some of the hard work is. The other thing that can be really helpful for people is to get a good sense of what is important for them in terms of values. And the reason why I say this is two things because often the kind of standards or the pressures that we feel around how to show up as a mother may not at all be aligned with our values. And two, because for many people, when they become mothers, their values change. And in fact, our values change constantly throughout life. And so doing a bit of a check-in with what our values are is something we should be doing ongoingly anyway in life. But certainly when we go through a huge transition, like becoming a mother, checking in with what actually feels good. So some of the things that maybe you thought you would continue doing when you entered motherhood, maybe they don't feel good anymore, but you're feeling like you have to keep doing them because that's who you are or that's what you said you'd do or that's what you promised yourself in your mind that you would keep doing because that was important to you before. But maybe yeah. that's not important anymore or maybe it just feels stressful to still engage in that particular behaviour or be around a particular person. You need to readjust that and say, actually, that doesn't feel good anymore. So maybe I can put that on pause for a little while and try something else. So really being flexible and creative about what we let into our space, also how we spend our energy. But the other thing I want to say for, for people who are like new mothers is like, just do less, just do less right from the beginning. I think that one of the issues that I am seeing and in my own experience and certainly is continuously being 
talked about in in the circles of women that I'm in and also with clients that I work with is that it can take us quite a while to realize that we need to do less. And so people around us in our environment get used to us doing a lot and doing everything and and being the one that, you know, gets up in the night and maybe does the breastfeeding or if they don't, they're doing the bottle stuff and still has food organized and still has the house kind of looking okay and still and still and still and still. And then it's like you burn out and you Mm. crash and then you've got to somehow piece together how the new world is going to look again. I think of, especially in that fourth trimester, the best thing you can do is just do as little as you can and let the house fall apart and let other people see that it's falling apart so they actually have a motivation to do something about it. <laughs> That's 100%. really like, you know, I what I think. Like of that mm. quote, um, just because I carry it well doesn't mean it isn't heavy. And I just think mm. so women would be feeling that where mm. they're carrying it really well on the surface. And like you said, that means that people think, oh, they're doing great. They're doing so well. Mm-hmm. Their house is tidy. The food is cooked. They got a smile on their face. But it doesn't mean it isn't heavy. And I guess it's giving yeah. these women permission to drop that load. They don't need mm-hmm. to carry it all. Yeah. And I think that lots of people say, but if I don't do it, who will? And I'm mm. absolutely guilty of that too, because I have said that. And the thing that I remind myself of now and what I say to other people is just let it fall and let it crash on the floor. And mm. if it matters to someone, then they will find a way to resolve that, right? Like as in, you know, like, the things that we think that are so important, they aren't necessarily that important, right? Yeah. It's getting back to the crux of it. Core things that I think are important, especially in early motherhood, is making sure that like basically it revolves around the mother. So I'm very mother-centric. So it's like making sure that a mother has all the care that she needs to be able to nurture her baby. That's what needs to happen. And everything else can fall apart or you can enlist other people to do or pay other people if you're in a situation where you can do that. And if you can't do that, then it might just be a little bit of like learning to grow your window of tolerance to mess, right? Because that's just that's just the reality of kind of parenting. Like it's you're going to have periods where everything's a mess and then there's going to be other periods where maybe you've got more support or more time available or just more internal resources where it won't be so much like that. And it is a bit up and down like that. So I think that we do need to to gain more tolerance for that. And that's been a big lesson for me because my husband in general is like, he is so disorganized. <laughs> He's so disorganized. And I have become more and more disorganized as I've been married to him, but that's not my natural way of being. And it's been a real letting go of control, a real yeah. experience of like, it actually doesn't matter. Like it isn't, no one's going to die. No one's going to yeah. die. If no one's going to die, and no one's going to be damaged, it's fine. You're doing Absolutely. great. I feel like it took me three kids to really understand when you say mm. do less. The first mm. two kids, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around that. I was talking about these topics and mm. I guess paying a little bit of lip service to them, but I wasn't really embodying that. And then it took mm. to have three babies for me to go, mm-hmm. oh, this is what it feels like to truly rest and to let mm-hmm. the things fall down or to get help and lean on mm. my community. And it was the best postpartum experience for me. And I'm like, yeah. why didn't I do this the first two times? This feels amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And I found a really good piece of advice from my friend. I'm certainly not like an organized OCD, like cleaning, you know, 
person, I am quite happy just for a tidy house, but I certainly found having children really started to push my boundaries of my, mm. my comfort with mess. I did two reframes. A friend told me, just pick one area of the house and that's your safe space. So that's your tidy. Everything mm-hmm. is how you like it. So I whether that's that. like your entrance table, it's like your one space in the house. And so I picked an area in my lounge room where I had like my disco ball and my my painting and my flowers and my vase and there was never any mm. toys up on that area. Like I made sure that those like surfaces were always clean. It was beautiful because I could sit there and have a cup of tea and look at that one corner of my house and go, Ah, my house is so perfect. <laughs> I just love that. Yes. Piece of advice. Yes. Um, and my other reframe was instead of getting really frustrated at the toys and the mess and whatever, I, I just look at it now and think how beautiful that my house is so lived in because I know mm. that when I'm older and my kids aren't playing with mm-hmm. toys and maybe they're not even living at home. And my house stays the same throughout the day yeah. because no one's touching it. I'm going to look back and remember those times where there was stuff mm-hmm. everywhere and there was just such a sign of life in the house. And I just mm-hmm. try to remind myself about that as well when I'm like having a moment of like, why, why do you need to go to this room and turn it upside down? Yes. Now? I'm like, you know yeah. what? Look at their smiles, Laura. Look how happy they are. Like totally. just let them be. And it can all be mm. managed. I've I've minimized all the toys and made sure it's really achievable for me to be able to clean these yeah. things up and that it's not overwhelming me. But mm-hmm. I've definitely found those two things help. So find a corner, ladies, of your house that you can make <laughs> precious and sacred. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's making me you make me think about when I was a kid, I had an auntie and I oh man, I love her so much. And my kids are having at some experiences with her that mirror this with that I had with her as a child and I'd go to her house and her house was like a treasure trove of stuff there was just like she wasn't a hoarder but she just had all this beautiful stuff in corners and like she probably didn't even know it was there but it was just so beautiful and her garden was like that too her garden was always a work in progress out the back yeah. but it you know you'd go to her house and she was never inside and you'd have to go searching for her in the garden. And she was like, you know, like with these gl- garden gloves on, like sweating with some loud, crazy outfit on because she just she just wears the most amazing things. And I just was so enamoured by that energy and by the house. Like it felt like this magical house. Like as a child going there, it felt so lived in. And what I mean by that is, yeah, it wasn't untidy. <sighs> It was just that there was stuff everywhere. So it was never dirty. She was clean, but it was just like there was all this interesting stuff everywhere that I would just find as I walked through the house and whatever. And it was honestly her homes, the many homes that she had over that period of time, were always like a safe place for me. And when things were getting hot at my house, I would go and stay with her for like a week. And it was literally the most nourishing, just when I think of it, I just can feel the feeling in my body as I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it right now. And the reason why I say that is because I often remi- remind myself of that now. And I'm like, it feels so messy, but her house was never a house that had nothing out of place. Everything was out of place. Like mm-hmm. that was the way it was. And it felt magic for me as a child. And yeah. my children now go to her house and they say the same things about her. My daughter said the other day, I love going to Auntie Geraldine's house. Her garden's like a jungle. (laughs) And I was like, I actually, I had such an inner child moment. I was literally in that moment transported back to when I was a kid. And I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about, babe. And so that's that thing of like, 
I know that it can sound cliche about that a lived-in house are the memories of that family, but it actually really is. And that is, I think, the way that the children see it. They don't necessarily see it as clutter and stuff like that. And of course, we need every once in a while to give it a tidy up so we know what's going on and we don't feel overwhelmed. But I think just to remind ourselves that, yeah, these are memories that we're making in our homes and that those are kind of more important than, like literally at the moment, I have like eight or nine humongous tubs of washing that would just get basically tipped all over the floor every single day when someone's looking for something and then thrown back in. And they've been there for like six weeks. I'm in deep, don't give a shit mode. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) I don't have time. I would prefer to watch a TV episode with my husband in the evening or go to bed early or something like that than spend hours folding that. So it'll get, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. Yeah. It's so funny Mm. you say that because my husband and I have had these conversations too. We were like, do you reckon one day you like, we'll finally tackle the study? Because our study is like our junk room. We're just, (laughs) everything's thrown in there and we close the door and we lock it and we try not to look at it. Yeah. Do you reckon we'll ever get around to it? But we're like, we will always choose to spend time together, go for a surf, go to the beach. Mm. Like there's a million things I will always choose to do before I clear out Mm. that study. And that's just Mm -hmm. how we are. And we own it. And we're like, we don't ever want to do that over anything else. And that's okay. That's where we're at right now in life. And we're totally fine with that. And when you were saying about, because I was thinking of my parents' house uh, and like, I feel so warm and homely when I'm there as well. And like, for want of a better word, there is shit everywhere. Like there's lots of trinkets (laughs) and pictures and it's very different to my house. And I've tried to keep my house quite minimal just Mm. because it just feels right for me right now. But I do have that really warm, fuzzy feeling at my parents' house. And Mm. I I was thinking about yes environments for kids and how Mm. a house that is a yes environment where it's not like, don't touch this, don't touch that, don't play with this, don't Uh. sit on that couch. Don't Like that would just feel really good for kids, right? And our Mm. house, whilst being quite minimal, is very much a yes environment. Like kids can roam free. They can play with pretty. I don't have anything anymore that's precious or valuable or that I have to say, no, don't touch that, don't Mm. do Because it's just too stressful for me and I didn't want to create that environment for kids. So, yeah, I was just thinking about that when you said that. And I was like, your auntie's Mm. house is probably very much a yes environment where Mm. they're not being told off or told not to touch this or that or do this, you know. They probably yeah. just feel very comfortable and safe there, which is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. I thought of something yeah. I wanted to say to you. It just popped into my mind just then, which is kind of a bit separate to what we were just talking to, but goes back to the question of like, you know, new mums who maybe are feeling like they're struggling or not in love with their reality of mothering. And the other point that I want to make there, because, you know, I'm a therapist, so this is absolutely what I feel, is that if you do feel like you're struggling when you become a mother, is that just don't wait to get help. Like, just don't wait. Mm. Because the longer you wait, the more difficult it is to kind of come out of that space. But also because it's the longer that you're in a place where you're not enjoying life and you're not enjoying those moments with your children and stuff. I'm really talking for people who are just like really struggling and maybe they're feeling really low more often than not. And this is past that period of early postpartum where you're feeling baby blues. But if you're really low and really experiencing a lot of that feeling of shame, like I'm not good enough, I'm not a good mother, or maybe my kids deserve better and stuff. If you're feeling like you're in that space a lot of the time, I would absolutely recommend seeking help as early as possible because 
It's the difference between getting on top of that, shifting some mindset stuff or reframing, learning about your family of origin, which also has a lot to do with how we experience mothering as well, and doing the work of healing that so that you can start to really enjoy, get back to enjoying your experience of being a mother rather than just gritting your teeth and pushing through it which is very much part of our culture as well, right? Like it's hard, toughen up, just get through it. It's like, no, just reach out for help. There is no, there should not be any shame. It is not about failure. We all need some help at some point. And the sooner that people get help in that beginning part of motherhood, the easier it then is for them going forward. Because now they've got, you know, you get skills and resources and things like that right from the beginning that you can use and you can call on for the rest of that journey. Mm, I love that. That's a really good point to make. Yeah. Mm. Life is too short. Like we need to get back on the right path for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you have to deal with. It's not necessarily like a given part of motherhood. Um, Mm. So many things that you can do to help. I want to talk about anger and rage. And I Mm. feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this is like your forte. I feel like you speak about (laughs) this area really well. I know Mm. myself when I became a mum, I didn't know of anyone really speaking about rage and anger Mm. and it kind of shocked me like some of the feelings I've had since becoming a mum because I certainly didn't have those feelings before Mm. I was a mum and I know so many women around me who are also quite surprised and Mm. like almost a bit scared at what can come out of them when it comes to and I know you don't like to call it motherhood or mum rage I'll Mm. get you to go into that as well but Can you just dive in deep on anger and rage, where it's coming from, how women can manage that and deal with that, especially Mm. if it catches them by surprise and also why you don't like to call it mum rage? Sure. I think essentially when, I mean, anger can be kind of like a primary emotion or it can be kind of a secondary emotion. And when it's a primary emotion, it's normally like, when we feel anger as a primary emotion, it's kind of like almost outrage, like something has happened that we feel is really unjust and we're feeling angry about that, you know. So for me personally, when, you know, the abortion rights of women in the US, when that was taken away from them, I felt rage. I felt deep rage about that. With the death of Cassius here in Perth recently in WA, I feel rage about that because there's a direct situation or incident that has happened that has caused me to feel anger. And that's what we call kind of a primary emotion of anger. When we have a secondary emotion, which is often what people are experiencing in motherhood and in life in general as well, I wouldn't say it's often, but it's more often what we're actually feeling. It's when we're feeling anger as a result of a bunch of other emotions. And so in it's important to, to notice this for the motherhood sort of space or for mothers, because What it means then is that when we're feeling anger, there is actually some really important information there that we need to tune into. And generally what we're talking about here is that there are unmet needs and that is why we're feeling anger. The kinds of needs that may be going unmet and that lead us to get to a place where where we start to experience rage or anger is that we maybe haven't been sleeping enough. Maybe we have not been nourishing ourselves with the right kind of diet. And that's really easy for that to happen, especially in new motherhood, because there's just a lot to do. 
And often we surviving off scraps from our kids and things like that. Maybe it's also about like getting in regular movement and movement's really important for nervous system regulation. I have this picture that I actually use in my anger workshop, which is like this iceberg analogy, which is the top of the iceberg that we see is the anger, but underneath it, there's all these other things like never getting time for yourself, feeling like you're having to put everybody else's needs first, not eating balanced kind of meals or whatever, not drinking enough water, not getting enough sleep, feeling unseen, feeling unheard, not being validated for the effort that you're putting in, like all of these other things that exist beneath the iceberg. And so when people come to me with anger, one of the first things I say is let's have a look at what isn't being addressed here. Like what are the unmet needs that are being communicated to you in this anger. And this is why I often talk about, and you may have heard people talk about anger as sacred rage or sacred anger. And that's a lot to do with this idea that that it's actually communicating something important. There's a message here for you when you're starting to feel that way. And that is like you're in depletion and overload mode. You need to look after yourself. Basically, when we are becoming angry and you know, that kind of anger and rage that happens as a mother where you're like flipping out about stuff that you know, an overreaction that you're having, which may be a trigger thing as well, but it's happening often because we're just, our nervous system is not well resourced. And what that means is that we have like a window of tolerance. So when we're kind of in the green zone, which means that we're able to cope with daily challenges and things like that, we we might call ourselves as being in the green zone. And when we're in that green zone, we can dip in and out of challenges. Your child wants a particular cup we can deal with that. Or a baby wakes up earlier than you had expected from a sleep. We can deal with that because we're generally in the green zone. We're getting nourishment or sleep or support in a way that feels adequate for us. So we can manage the challenge that happens. When you take away those resources though that we're getting and now you're having to do it all on your own, that window of tolerance becomes smaller and smaller. And Mm -hmm. so it's easier for us to flip into that anger, right? It's important for us then to look at What do we need to be happening in our daily life to make sure that our nervous systems are well-resourced so that we're not easily flipped into this real rage and anger kind of state? Mm. And some of that may be day-to-day stuff, like I need opportunities to connect with my body. I am a big advocate for, for conscious breath, and that just another way of talking about that is breath work, and of having a regular practice because it's the most direct way to actually modify or modulate the nervous system. So by slowing down our breath, it has an automatic reaction and response rather to, about what's happening in our nervous system. And so really activating the calming down of our nervous system. And if we do that on a regular basis, it means that we're kind of moving through the day then with a nervous system that is starting from a more regulated place to begin with. If we don't have good kind of self-care practices, and I'm not talking about glamorous baths and stuff, but I'm talking about going to bed at a reasonable hour or having those difficult conversations with partners where we're asking for more support in the nighttime parenting or in the daytime parenting, eating better and also setting just better boundaries with ourselves, right? So we're not just overextending ourselves in our life. If we're not self-caring, then our nervous system becomes depleted and we end up operating in this fight or flight space a lot of the time. Anxiety is such a big thing for mothers because an anxiety is essentially you're in fight or flight. That's what that is. And so if we are living our lives as mothers in this up energy, in this tense kind of fight or flight space in our nervous system, then 
there isn't very far to go for us to end up flipping into rage, is there? There isn't very far to go. And so we do need practices that allow us to come that down and restore the flexibility and the movement within the different autonomic states that exist in our nervous system. Doing things like breath work, taking time to have a walk, making sure you're sleeping, you're getting a reasonable number of hours of sleep is so important. Like sleep has just such a profound effect on mental health. It's huge, right? Just sleep alone will get you into a major depressive episode. So it's super important for us to use anger as an opportunity or as a prompt to say, okay, it's not working. This isn't working. If I'm constantly in this cycle of getting angry, it's not working. The structure and the way that we are living life is not working for me because I'm not able to regulate well the way that life is happening at the moment. And it's an opportunity then to reassess what's happening on a day-to-day basis. Where do I need more support? So that's kind of the way that I really talk about anger. The, the other need that happens here is in the unmet needs of our childhood. So that is another key part here because I think that absolutely what makes mothering really challenging for us is when we did not receive what we needed as children on an emotional level. So many people received what they needed in terms of like there was some level of security around housing. You knew that your parents were generally there. You went to school, you had food, you were clothed, all of that sort of stuff. But many, many people did not receive what they needed on an emotional level to let them feel worthy all the time and without needing to do something to receive that validation of being worthy and belonging and enough and special, right? Many of us didn't receive that in our childhoods. And if we've come from a place like that, then parenting is going to be quite difficult for us for a number of reasons, which is which all of them are far too big to go into in this episode. But essentially what I'm saying is, is that there may be some un- unmet childhood needs that need to be addressed. And that's something that you would go and do with a therapist or maybe with a coach who's had specialist training in trauma. That's where you'd go and, and look at, at that. In essence, one of the ways that that shows up is that the unmet needs of our childhood kind of become the triggers of our adult life and in our motherhood, right? So on on a very basic level, sitting with big emotions from our children, if we didn't have someone that was able to do that for us as children, or if we had someone who shamed us or who taught us to suppress our own emotions when we were young, that when our children express big emotions, that's going to feel threatening for us because it wasn't safe for when we were children. And that is possible that that's going to become a triggering kind of experience for people that puts people into a dysregulated state, which means potentially anger and and even rage for some people. So the unmet childhood needs are a big part as well. But generally speaking, when I look at anger for people, it's like, what isn't being met here? What's happened in the background here for you too? What's happened in the past for you that could give Mm -hmm. us some information about why you're feeling this way? Because sometimes it's specific situations that always cause anger for someone. That's a really good signal that maybe this is connected to some background history stuff as well. Yeah. And would you say in terms of trying to differentiate where your anger is coming from, if you Mm. know for the most part you've got that good buffered green zone that you were talking about, like you're sleeping pretty good, you're eating pretty good, your movement's good, yet you're still experiencing anger, that's when you might start to delve more deeply into the inner Mm. child work and the reparenting and all of the things you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is also that 
I think that when you're doing that, there's obviously ways that you can go and do inner child work and you can read books about it and learn more about it, which is great. But when you start to work with someone and you're really getting into more experiential types of practices, maybe they would help you with regulating practices as well so that you're able to to be with the, the big feelings and the big experiences that come up with when you revisit memories like that. Mm-hmm. I think also, though, that if you... Like I just really want to come back to this breath thing because the breath is just such a huge part of the way that we regulate. It is just central to everything about us as living, breathing beings, right? One of the things that we do in kind of exposure therapy in sort of psychology with people who have anxiety disorders, different sorts of anxiety disorders, is we might actually create situations that feel anxiety-inducing for them and teach them how to be with it so that they can actually habituate to that. And so you can get people to do things with their breath, and that's a lot of what we do, some of what we do there, where it actually starts to mimic the experience that they have with anxiety. It starts to feel like anxiety for them. So if we can do that with the breath, you can absolutely do the opposite with the breath, which is tune into the other part of the nervous system that actually provides down regulation. I just really want to say the breath thing is so big because if we practice breath work out of the moment, It's teaching us a skill that we can use in the moment when we start to feel like the symptoms of the anger bubbling up, and then we can use it to give us enough space, right, between what's happened, whatever the trigger was in that moment, and our reaction so that we can actually then act in more alignment with our parenting values and how we want Mm. to show up as a mother. The breathwork stuff is just so important, and you still might go, you would still go ahead, hopefully, and do the inner child work and the family of origin work, but then you've got that skill that you can use as you're moving through that healing process where you're able to create space between what happens and your reaction. If we can just create a little bit of space there, it gives us enough time to kind of get communication happening again between the sort of the frontal lobe, right, which does the planning and the problem solving and the rationalizing. Because when we're in that anger zone, that bit is just like the communication to that part of the brain is just off because we're in primal, we're in a primal kind of state. So um, using breath to calm down that emotion center of the brain means that we can now turn on again and and establish communication again with that part that allows us to problem solve. So we can go, okay, what do I need to do to manage this particular situation in a more healthy way? How can I express my anger in a more healthy way, right? And sometimes we can't express the anger in that moment because there's an actual situation that needs dealing with, but we might come back and use practices later to actually help with some of that release and tension that we're feeling in the body as well. And so you encourage Mm. clients to just practice breath work as a regular daily ritual or practice, but then also to then have those tools really harnessed and tuned in so that when they're in the moment feeling that Mm. bubbling up of anger, they can then utilize that. But it's not just something you're using when you're angry, right? You're using this when you're feeling great in the morning, Mm -hmm. whenever it is, you're you're practicing your breath work. Yeah. And and the reason for that is just because if you don't practice it out of the moment, it's not going to show up for you in the moment. (laughs) It's just not going to. It's way too hard, right? And I'm just wondering if you believe, is there like a healthy way to express your anger that is mm-hmm. not just calming you down. So I'm talking, yeah. I'm just picturing, and I cannot remember, I apologize, I can't remember what your 
story around it was, but I remember seeing this video of you like screaming into a pillow and like kicking mm. and punching. And I'm not sure what the caption was, but do yeah. you have a place for healthy expression of rage or anger in that way that isn't just, yeah. okay, calm yourself down and breathe? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, and this connects back to your question around why I don't like the term of like mum rage and things like mm. that. And basically it's because there is no term that identifies rage or anger in men or in fathers. There is no term about that, right? There are different reasons why men may feel angry at different phases in their life, and yet we do not have a term that identifies anger for them. But we have a term that identifies anger for women at a stage of life when they're not supposed to, according to society standards, feel angry. And so mm -hmm. that is my problem with the term of mum rage, which is that our culture encourages the suppression of anger for women. And that is part of the problem of why there is so much rage for them when they enter motherhood too. Because I think for many women, it's the first time when they become aware of how invisible we are in this culture. Um, and that's on top of all of the load that they're carrying in being mothers as well. And there's a lot of really good reason to be angry at this stage of life. And I think we need to kind of like alchemize that anger. We need to have ways of healthy expression of anger. And, you know, when you think about it, men are not necessarily encouraged to beat each other up, but when they express anger, it's seen as they're assertive or they know what they want or they're in control. But when women express anger, we're seen as crazy or out of control or unhinged. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we're, we're all human in the same way. Our nervous systems work in the same way and we all have a need for emotional release. And that includes crying as well, right? Like it's just, I had a client today who was telling me, she has these things going on for her. And she said, you know, so I went, did some breath work because I'm feeling very overwhelmed. And she said, I just cried the whole time. And she was like, it's okay. I, I really needed that release. And absolutely, because day to day she's managing and she's maybe in a bit of a survival state because she's just, she's got a new baby and a toddler and she's just trying to get by and get everything done that needs doing and creating that space for her to be present with her breath and just really feel the emotion that was underneath everything that she's trying to hold up was just so important for her. Um, and so in the same way, our, our bodies just absolutely do need ways of discharging energy. So if we hold on to those sad feelings and we never release them, they're going to build up in our body and manifest in other ways. And similar mm. to anger, like anger is linked to all sorts of health issues for people. So it is really important that we have practices and opportunities to release, but that isn't the only way to talk about anger or to express anger in a healthy way. Other expressions of anger are just in how we communicate our anger to people around us. So how we let our children know that we're reaching our limit, for example, doing that in a way that is not out of control and dysregulated and early enough so that it's not dysregulated. Because that's the other thing I think that sometimes as mothers, we allow boundaries to be pushed and limits to go for children to, to go past limits before we then burst and we snap at them. So also mm -hmm. recognizing what our limits are and what our boundaries are around certain behaviors and communicating that to our children early enough so we don't end up in that really dysregulated state. I think it's, it is really important for us to have ways of both communicating about the fact that we're experiencing anger and that we're feeling angry to our partners, to people in our work environments, to our friends and to our children, obviously, but then also knowing what to do. So in the moment, we can use skills that allow us to regulate our nervous system so we can show up in the present moment more aligned. And so that might mean, you know, doing something like box breathing, which is like four breaths out, four breaths in, 
holding for four and then repeating that. There are a few different types of breathing styles. You can actually just Google them and you find them very easily, or it might be needing to ground. So actually like leaving the situation and stepping outside for a moment and taking some really big breaths in and very slow breaths out as we breathe out and using our nose as much as we can to do that so that we can create space in the moment. But you may feel that after that, you still feel tense, like you still feel like I'm wound up and irritated. And sometimes when I have that feeling and I just can't move it completely with breath work, yeah, I just have a big rage out. And that involves putting on some crazy music when no one is around, or sometimes if they are around, I'll get in the car and go and do it somewhere else and just fully just screaming. And it's like ugly. It's not pretty. <laughs> this is one of the things that I have a few clients that I work with at the moment who are, we're working with anger stuff. And it is so hard for people to get into this space when They've been conditioned for so long to be good and to mm. not be angry and don't scream and don't raise your voice and don't look ugly. You know what I mean? Like, because if you're letting rip like that, you are sounding not nice. It's really mm. guttural, the sound mm. that kind of comes out. It's kind of sounds like when you're birthing. Oh, growling. Yeah, yes. that's right. That's the sound that we're trying to get when we're doing mm. kind of like a bit of a rage release. And what I do in that practice is I put the music on and get into that space and I and I try to locate the feeling of anger in my body. And then I do check in with my body about what do I need to do to move this? And it might be movement. It might be the shouting. It might be some punching and stuff. And I just let myself do whatever comes to me in that moment for as long as I need. And then I like take a moment and breathe and then feel in how is that feeling going in that space still? Is it still there? And often it's a few times that I might need to do that. And I'm really up, I'm really upregulated when I'm doing this. So it's big energy. And then I always finish that and encourage people to always do the grounding part after. So you don't want to just do that and then go back to life in a like, you know, full on upregulated state. You want to do some grounding at the end of that. And that often just looks like, um, you know, at least five minutes, but if you can, 15 minutes of some breath work. And breath work for people out there who are listening in this sense is there's lots of different styles of breath work and there are breathwork styles that involve, you know, like hour or two hours worth of a sort of journey and is really very, very intense and very amazing. Um, and there are also styles that are more gentler, but this is like I'm talking about the, the daily stuff that I'm talking about and this that you might use after a rage release is like a 15-minute practice, which is gentle, and it essentially involves being focused on the body and how the body feels throughout the breath session and taking big expansive breaths in through your nose and until you feel like you can't hold air anymore in your lungs and then just allowing that breath to come out, to tumble out essentially, a short pause and then doing that again. So it's a very slow, very flowing breath and throughout that process is checking in with how your body is feeling and being present with whatever shows up. So sometimes people have big emotions that show up, like I said, with my, my client that was, you know, the tears and the grief. Sometimes it can be images or memories that show up and just staying with whatever brings itself up in that moment and trusting that we're safe in that moment. Mm. So that's kind of what that, you know, looks like. Yeah. And mm. I had such a big response to, day? I would love to do it every day, but it's not no. realistic for me every day. But I will have periods of time where I'm like, man, I'm really dysregulated at the moment and I will do like 14 days straight of breath work oh, every wow. day. Yeah. yeah. So it's when, yeah, and when people come to me with anger stuff, 
Mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to encourage them to engage in a daily breathwork practice for mm-hmm. at least the period of time that they're seeing me to deal with that mm-hmm. because I really am wanting to encourage them. So part of what we're doing with a long-term breath practice is teaching the nervous system to behave differently because mm-hmm. we're trying to teach it to not be in that like arousal state and yeah. because it means that if they become practiced at that skill of becoming attuned and really conscious with their breathing, they're more likely to actually be able to use that as a strategy in the moment when they're feeling angry as well. That doesn't mean it's achievable for everyone and that's okay because we're mums and we've got a lot going on. But if we can aim that we're going to try our hardest to try and get in a session every day for like 20 days or Mm -hmm. whatever that might be and we're going to be compassionate with ourselves where it just doesn't happen, that's okay. But Mm -hmm. we're aiming to try and get as much of that done as possible. Right. You've inspired also, me. I feel like I'm going to start this tomorrow. Yeah, you should. Like daily breath work. I, I've only recently stumbled across breath work. Like I've always mm. known the benefits of just a couple of deep breaths and whatnot, mm. but something a little bit more structured than that. And I have, it's a feeling I've never tapped into before. It feels amazing. Mm. Like yeah. I did like these half an hour breathwork journeys and I was like oh my lord I just feel Mm. like a different person right now and it's like a really oh like it's a really addictive sort of sensation Mm. like I just want to feel like this all the time this is so incredible so I am yeah I'm a big advocate for breathwork but I don't Mm. think it has to look that intensive it can certainly be five minutes that's right it doesn't it doesn't have to look like anything and that's the thing that I really say to mums as well it doesn't have to be this like perfect zen zone with the candles on and the beautiful music and the last fluffy thing that you're going to lay on it doesn't have to be like that like how amazing if you get that in every once in a while but sometimes for me breath work is like five minutes because my kids are crawling all over me but at least I got the five minutes in yeah and doing it in that context actually helps me with my window of tolerance too because I'm practicing being tolerant and um and being with the discomfort of people being all over me while I'm doing the breath work so it's actually I would never say to someone like you know, it has to be all perfect. Like we're just trying to get as much of it done as we can. And the more you practice it, the better ingrained that skill will be. And it's also really, you know, if you can have your children see you do it, it's a lovely thing to to have them see you doing. And maybe because you want to have that special time for yourself, you might not want to be talking them through it all, but after you've done it, you can tell them about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like my kids... Now, um, you know, my son in particular goes to a school where they do lots of breath stuff at school and lots of meditation. And they, I saw them, I was at their morning circle the other day and I saw them all rubbing their ears to activate their vagus nerve. And I was like, oh my God, I love this school. It was, you know, because I was like, I know what that is, but I didn't know they were doing that in a circle. That was a new thing I hadn't seen. And I was like, I like this Christine, um, their teacher. So it's, it's a lovely thing. And, you know, when, when I get dysregulated, my kids tell me that. They're like, mm. you should have done your breathing, mum. Mm. Yeah, how great is that? <laughs> Which is, point of view, though. it's I think lovely. That's really healthy. That's really. It's beautiful. lovely, and yeah. you know, this is the thing about being a mother and about being a parent. It's like we cannot protect our children from everything, but we can equip them with the skills that they're going to need to be able to manage any challenge that comes for them in oh, life, right? Yeah. And so, teaching them something like. Even if they're not really into the breath work, but teaching them that breath is important at least is the beginning of that. It's setting the scene and it's really sowing that seed for later as they get older to develop that skill with you. 
Yeah, so and I really know that when mum's angry, she does breath work. Mm. Well, naturally, their theirs are going to go. Oh, I'm angry, therefore I should do breath work. That's yeah. what they've learned. That's what they've absorbed. So yeah, I think that's just giving them this a massive leg up in terms mm. of emotional regulation. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's really cool. I'm 100 going to start tomorrow. I'll post it on yeah. Instagram and I'll tag you. <laughs> I love that. I love it so much. I mean, it's oh, funny you yeah. say this because I've been thinking this week because whenever we're approaching Christmas, I'm always like, I want to do something for the community that's just like a free thing. I think last year I did like a free guided session on boundary setting, right? So oh. it was like we talked about it, but then we also did some guided imagery work around setting boundaries for Christmas. And this year I'm like, maybe I'm going to do a breathwork thing where we do like a couple of days of breathwork sessions and people like an Instagram page. And yeah. people can just watch it in their own time. But so maybe that's a thing because I've had so many people ask me about it and it's very simple. Sign you don't up, need an hour amazing. and stuff. So <laughs> now you've got me thinking I might have to, I have to put that on. I like what you said about um, <laughs> doing it with your kids because what you were saying mm. earlier as well about, um, you called it like a therapy that you do as mm. a therapist. That's what that is, right? If your kids mm. are calling all over you while you're doing breath work, that's, that's oh, yeah. therapy. <laughs> you have them to go, yeah. this is starting to stretch me and I'm going to breathe yeah. my way through it. Absolutely. <laughs> so powerful. And I think that's really, yeah. again, validating for women to go, if you don't get any pockets of time that you feel you could dedicate to this, that's okay. Mm. You can still do it. Uh, still worthwhile. Uh, beautiful. So thank you so much, yeah. Mara. I feel like, so like I said, anger and rage in motherhood is not really something I've seen a lot of. And I know mm. amongst me and my circle of friends and the women I speak to that it's such a real part of women's mothering journeys and I know a lot of women just kind of feel like they're crazy like you said they're Mm. unhinged we have all these cultural stories around Mm. women having rage and what that means about us but I just think it's really cool to imagine that iceberg you spoke about and be like this is the tip and there is so much beneath this and that's Mm. the reason why I'm angry and it's okay and it's normal and I can express it in a healthy way but let's deal with all of that stuff underneath and let's Mm. meet my needs better and let's increase my buffer zone increase my green zone let's do some breath work yeah Um, I think that's really beautiful so thank you so much this has just been such a wonderful Welcome. I've not talked to you for hours. I'm You're so welcome. Tomorrow, and hopefully, all of the <laughs> listeners are going to start doing some of that too. And yeah, I just thank you so much for your time and for sharing You're this because so it's really, really powerful for women on this journey mm. to just feel less alone and to feel validated and that it's okay and to feel mm-hmm. all your feelings. It's just so, yeah, so good. It so is. Thank you so much, Yara. Is there any final piece of advice or anything we missed that you want to mm. share with the, the There is actually that I was just thinking, and that is that. Just just trust in the process and it's okay to go slow and it's okay for it to take a while to see things changing when you apply something new. And I really want to stress that because I love all the information that mums get, but there is so much information out there and know that there is no such thing as a quick fix. So when I, even when we talk about nervous system regulation and, and rage release and breath work is like know that you're going to need probably a little bit of practice of that for a little while to really see big shifts but we're looking for the small shifts we're looking for the small changes if that's just how you feel straight after the session that it's better that's fine you don't have to have some amazing magical experience when you do breath work it's just the small shifts in your your nervous system sometimes it's just being still for that period of time Like maybe that's really hard for you normally. Maybe five minutes of being still and breathing 
is a huge change for you and that's enough, right? So I just really want to tell people that with all of these things that I've talked about is give yourself as much self-compassion as you need to go through the learning and trying and testing process, right? Like it's not just going to come online straight away. You've lived the way that you have for a really long time and it will take time to change some of those things. So be really compassionate with yourself as a mother, as a woman and on this journey in general. Mm, you're a legend thank you so Mm, much no worries thank you laura hey mamas i really hope you love that episode with yara i know i could have talked to her for hours and i certainly know that when i ended the call with her i felt really inspired to go and focus on my breathing more it's definitely something that we take for granted right like we breathe all day long, yet we don't ever consciously think about it. So it's definitely something that I want to go and sit with a little bit more and take time out of my day to focus on conscious breathing. Even if it is just the four in, four out, I find that really, really powerful because I often practice breath work in the heat of the moment when I'm really trying to calm myself down, but I like the idea of practicing it when I'm feeling good so that I can really bolster that buffer. And so that I'm not always just trying to use it as a band-aid fix, but I'm actually trying to use it also as like a preventative approach. So I really hope you love that episode. I really hope it helped you feel more in tune with your authentic style of mothering and how you want to do this pregnancy, how you want to do birth, how you want to do postpartum, because you do you boo. Like don't let anybody else tell you how you should live your life. Sure, take on advice, but you need to really tune into what feels good for you because it will always feel bad if you abandon yourself because you're doing things you should quote unquote do. So I really hope it helps you feel a bit more confident about tuning into your authenticity and really acknowledging what you need, what are your needs right now and how can you bring your best version of yourself to the family table. So yeah, I really hope you love this episode. As always, come on over to at Physio Laura and let me know what your biggest takeaways were. I cannot wait to hear from you. I'd so love to hear everybody normalizing anger and rage as well and maybe sharing really helpful tips on what helped them move through that because I know when I first felt anger and rage in motherhood, I beat myself up bad for it. I told myself, oh my God, who is this crazy woman? And I think it's really nice when they then shared that with friends that I was like, oh, I'm not alone. This is an emotion that I've added shame to, but I don't need to. And I can work through this in a much healthier way. But I think if we share that with other people, it really helps to validate it. And it doesn't make you feel like you're on your own in experiencing that emotion. So definitely come and share with me at Physio Laura and without holding you up for any longer, because I want you to go away and enjoy this day and practice your breath. I will see you next week for a solo episode with me where I talk all about self-care and I cannot wait to get into that. So have a wonderful day, mamas, and I will chat to you soon. Bye.